Right, delighted to say that we're joined by the voice of the rugby pod and, of course, our special guest on the takeaway with Chicago Town straight after the Ireland-England game this Saturday. Andy Good, how are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Very good. Very positive after a, a big England victory. I say big England victory <laughs> at the weekend. We needed a win. Um, yeah. It's been a bit of doom and gloom for England, but uh, it was a massive performance. And um, over to Ireland, I'm just disappointed that we can't get over there and enjoy the Guinness as well. That's it. It's going to be a very different trip uh, for, for England to the Aviva Stadium than, well, uh, than, than anybody will be used to, I suppose. I think we're all, unfortunately, all used to sport being like that at the moment, uh, that <laughs> we're, not, we're not getting to enjoy in the way we used to. But we have to take the positives where they are. And I just we were just talking very briefly before we started recording here that, you know, the Six Nations itself has been a breath of fresh air this year. And in a surprising way, really, because... When we were talking in November about all these games, there was a sense of the drudgery of international rugby was just something that wasn't going to go away anytime soon. And it just did. And maybe it's the parity between all these teams. Yeah, especially, uh, you know, the difference, I think, between the Six Nations and playing in the Autumn Nations Cup as well. It, it, you know, the Six Nations is a, a, an amazing tournament that everyone loves to watch, whether you're actually at the grounds or at the minute we're watching it all on TV. But you know, the history of that tournament is phenomenal and the, and the rivalry between the clubs, sorry, between the countries um, is huge. So I think when you put that in the Autumn Nations Cup, it doesn't quite feel the same. Um, no. So a, a Six Nations game between England and Ireland, you know, is massive, whereas in the Autumn Nations Cup, it doesn't really feel a, a, as big for some reason. So, and I think the way the game was played back in November, there's a lot of kicking. England have, have been kicking the leather off it for oh, some while now, but the actual way teams have expanded a bit and played an attacking game of rugby and you only have to really look at the Welsh team to be honest the doldrums that they were in uh, back in November around the Automations Cup and the pressure that was on Wayne Pivak and uh, and his team and then they get a bit of luck started with that first game against Ireland didn't it and Omani's red card and a few things start to turn for them and they're going for a grand slam this weekend against France so um, the tournament's been really exciting the opening day where Scotland beat England, uh, as a proud Englishman, that hurts me to say that at Twickenham, but it set the tournament up for, mm. you know, some real drama. And we've seen, you know, some big performances. The French, you know, were looking good. Then there was the COVID issue for them um, around the camp and the, obviously the game cancelled against Scotland and they, that amazing game at Twickenham last weekend. So it's been fun. It's been very, very different and a real different feel around the game since November. And, you know, people are buzzing, looking forward to watching these games. Absolutely, yeah. And it's going to be a great weekend for both of those games, really. But um, you mentioned England there. We'll talk about Ireland and we'll talk about the game itself. But just on, you mentioned the Scotland game. Obviously, England like capitulated really against Wales in the end, no matter how they got to that point, referees and so on and so forth. It was a terrible ending um, for them. And you're wondering where they are. And then they put that performance in against France. Really brilliant, especially to get over the line and kind of, dra- you know, Mario Toji dragging his team literally and figuratively over the line um, at the end. That gives such a boost. I'm just wondering where you think England are at the moment. I mean, compared to their brilliance of 2019 to the pretty awfulness of the start of this tournament, are we somewhere in the middle? Are they on the way back to their best? Um, obviously, we've only seen one performance, but I think you'll have seen enough to know whether you know that was a one-off pride performance or whether Eddie Jones has figured a few things out. Yeah, um, I mean, I think hopefully he's figured out that actually when we play ball in hand and, and we don't just go to our kicking game and a, a one-off runner power game, um, we're a much better team. You saw at times the attacking width that we put on it. You've got to win the hard yards up front. Don't get me wrong. You've got to have that hard-nosed edge around carries and winning the gain line. But also you need the ability to attack an edge when you've softened up a defensive line and they've maybe tightened up 
Um, and early on in the Six Nations, we didn't have that at all. We were just playing sort of one-out rugby. You know, there was a five-on-two overlap, Owen Farrell boots it instead of looking to play to space yeah. um, against Scotland. And all these things have been highlighted. So I think what we're hoping as England fans and England supporters is that we've seen now a, a very different England performance against France. We've seen us put width on the ball. And let's be honest, we could have lost that game. Uh, France had a few opportunities in the second half to take the game away from us and, and didn't quite take them. But this England team, they're not a bad team overnight. We weren't performing anywhere near our ability and, and the style of play that we were playing was pretty bang average, if I'm being honest. Um, but that first half against France has, has really sort of whetting the appetite for a bit more. And hopefully, you know, Eddie Jones, what he's learned is we don't just have to play this boring kicking game mm. that where we can suffocate a team as we have done to Ireland, you know, last time they came to Twickenham last year, it was, wasn't a great game to watch then, was it? But it was an England dominant victory because of the physicality, the kicking game, the defence. And we preyed on a few mistakes by Johnny Sexton, which was always quite nice. So um, yeah, I mean, how, do we know much about this England team from the start of the tournament? A lot, a fifth of the team hadn't played, uh, actually a third of the team hadn't played any rugby since November prior to that. So um, they've grown through the tournament, which is not what you want because you want to be flying from day one. We can't win it, obviously, but there were some you know, green shoots of uh, excitement uh, from the game against France and hopefully we can finish off with a big performance as well. Yeah, you talk about learned lessons. Do you have any fears, again, as an England fan that, you know, you react to France throwing the ball around and playing this amazing rugby by doing the same, whereas if Ireland go, Ireland will more than likely come at you with one-out runners and box kicks and England might respond in kind, and it might be enough to win the game, but it's not going to develop in the way that uh, that we maybe, as as neutral rugby fans, saw the way we wanted played last Saturday. Yeah, it's that age-old question, isn't it? Is it about winning or is it about entertaining? Um, it's certainly about winning, and you look back over you know the the last four or five games that England have played against Ireland, we've been pretty dominant. Yeah, um, you know, you even you go back to the game at the Aviva Stadium when you know. I think England shocked Ireland a bit and I don't know whether Ireland have recovered from that mentally just playing against England. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Listen, we, we know how Ireland play. Um, you know, they've got a solid kicking game. They, they're powerful up front where they use the one-out runners. We've even seen um, Tyg Furlong with a ridiculous dancing feet as well. So they have got the ability to, to put width on it. They don't necessarily use that as their as their opening sort of gambit to a game. So it will be a bit of a game of chess to start off with. I do see England dropping back into this territorial kicking game and, you know, trying to put pressure on Ireland in uncomfortable places on the field in, in their own half. And that's how I think the game will start. And then, you know, the physical dominance of England will try and get on top of Ireland as they have done in the last couple of games. And Ireland's job is to to, to push that back on England and, you know, see the likes of CJ Stander and Peter Omani, if he's playing at six, really take it to England. Um, and then I'll, Tactical battle between Sexton at 10 and, and the Ford Farrell axis at 10-12 for England will be key uh, to how the game's decided. You know, Ireland got themselves into a really good position, 14 points up up in Scotland by playing calculated, uh, precise rugby, didn't they? Um, they let it slip a bit towards the end, but then had the wherewithal to get the penalty to, to win the game. So, yeah, there's question marks over both teams, isn't there? But that's what makes it exciting. Absolutely, yeah. Like, I mean, we can get a little bit myopic here naturally, as, as as most countries would be about their own team. And I do wonder what your outsider's view of, of Ireland in the Six Nations has been, because I suppose if you look at it from a pure numbers point of view, they had 14 men against Wales in a game that they still could have won. They didn't. Wales are obviously have won every game since. So, they, you know, that maybe that looks slightly different now. The France game is very close. Fra France look better every week. And... 
Um, obviously, they beat Scotland, beat Italy. Close game against Scotland. But again, we're talking about a much improved Scotland team. So it doesn't sound all that bad on paper despite two defeats. But in Ireland, there's a lot of negativity about this team and a lot of uh, feeling that we're kind of going nowhere, that there isn't an attacking plan under my cat and that there isn't uh, natural or, or, or kind of like tangible improvements in the way we're playing under Andy Farrell in general. Just wondering what you think of the whole thing from having just watched it from afar. Yeah, I mean, you can see how Ireland are playing and, and you know, even the history of how they played under Joe Schmidt before that, it was very detailed, very organised um, and very effective at times. Now, um, obviously, they've changed the coach. Andy Farrell has been upgraded to the boss and you know, Mike Katz coming in as an attack coach. So that feeling of, of, of what they knew under Joe Schmidt and, and how it worked in basically in between World Cups was pretty good. Um, you're now trying to create a new feeling. And I think as fans and as supporters and as, as pundits we, we have to have a bit of feeling around how difficult it is for them to gel properly under the covid rules that they're living by at the minute within the bubble um and how you can you know the emotion of a game now you ask any player that they want full stadiums even mm-hmm. as an away player you think actually it's easier going to dublin when the irish aren't baying for english blood as they do when we go over there but as an english player you don't want to play an empty stadium you want to hear you know people giving you a bit of stick because it helps you raise your own um, you know, emotions around the game. And, and with that comes performance. Some some players thrive on it. Some players, you know, it, it puts them back in their shell a little bit. And I think from, from an Ireland perspective, you've you've always gone really well in between World Cups. Um, and then you get to a World Cup and we all know the history of, 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 of how Ireland have fared there. It's always kind of been an underachievement, hasn't it, over the last few Um where the hopes are that you can get to a semi-final and maybe a final. And, and maybe a good thing for Ireland is that they're, they're putting these learning blocks in process at the minute. They're not sparkling, but they're going to build towards 2023 um, in France and, and hopefully that crescendo. But there's always going to be questions when you're not winning the Six Nations. Why haven't you won it? What do we need to change? And as pundits and, and as supporters, we all think we know the answers and, and it's pretty pretty obvious from the outside, but maybe it's not as easy as, as, as we're trying to make out. And you know, ultimately, there's always questions around the... The, the regeneration of the squad, what's going to happen after Sexton uh, when he retires, you know, is he going to go to the next World Cup? And, and it's really delicate for the coaches to understand, you know, when do we put a load of new boys in there and give them experience and opportunities? Or do we want to hold on to someone like Sexton for as long as possible? Because I know he can lead us at a World Cup. Same with England. You know, people have been crying out in England for Eddie Jones. Once we lost the Wales game, give as many people an opportunity as possible. But he didn't. He reverted to type against France and his team that pretty much got us to the World Cup final. Um, and he, that was two years ago nearly now. So he's looking back and, and trying to look forward as well. But it's all about the results in the here and now. And um, while you want to see Ireland build and play exciting rugby, um, there needs to be some solid foundations to, to get to that point. And, and maybe that's what they're doing without sparkling too much pre-World Cup in two years' time. Right, OK, that's good to know. Uh, <laughs> hopefully you're right. Uh, just wondering then from an English perspective, you said it's a pity, again, you guys aren't coming over. You're not like in uh, in your droves, having a few drinks, talking about the game, uh, you know, and uh, coming in for an, an, an almighty reception in the Aviva Stadium as we would have in the past. But if you were coming over, I'm just wondering in the old days, you would have been, when you were playing, Brian O'Driscoll, uh, Ronan O'Gara, Paul O'Connell, you know, these names that would roll off the tongue and would strike fear, I would imagine, into any opposition, be it England or New Zealand or whoever. Other than Johnny Sexton, who, let's face it, is the oldest player in the Six Nations, uh, even older than Alan Wynne-Jones, believe it or not. Um, 
who is there in that English rugby fans never forgetting about the actual team who are forensically go through these things? Who is it that strikes fear from the Ireland team? Is there anybody at all? Um, I think it's more of a collective. There are some world class individuals in, in in the squad. You know, you only have to look at the way Tag Burns playing in the in the back row. Does he shift to second row this weekend? Uh, more than likely, um, you know, to see his impacts on the game. But it's one of those. I think one of the issues around Ireland is that there's never really been a player with an unbelievable amount of physicality where you can just pin your hat to him and say, right, give him the ball, and he's going to like a Manu Tuolangi does for England at times. I know Manu's out injured for quite some time, but you know, they've got systematic players that fit into a, uh, you know, a, a culture and, and fit into a way of playing really well. And it's more of an effective team performance that you, you're worrying about. So, you know, you look at across the background, Ring Rose's quality. Um, you know, he's out this weekend. So Henshaw, does he play Bundyaki, who I think is a really good player. Mm. Um, you know, obviously, James Lowe has, has got world-class attributes to his game. He's also got some defensive weaknesses, as, as we've seen. But um, Keenan's come on to burst onto the scene and gone pretty well. But I don't think there's really anyone that you think, you know, there's no Drico at the minute, is there? There's no um, Gordon Darcy, you know, those threats that they had back then, Paul O'Connell up front. Um, James Ryan has been fantastic for Ireland, you know, since he broke through really, but he's out injured as well. So um, anyone that can run at, at 20 stone like Tag Furlong is and, and, and step the way he can, um, he's always going to be, a player to watch out for. But yeah, I think it's more the collective than an, an, an individual that you look at. And it's probably the case with England as well. You know, you're looking at that collective responsibility. We used to rely heavily on Billy Vanapola um, to get us over the game line. Now it's four or five players at the same time coming around the corner and trying to win the collision. We know Maratoji is a world-class individual in, in what he does. Um, so, you know, he'll be look at, looked at by the Irish boys try, trying to keep him quiet. But I don't think the Irish boys will fear many of the English boys either. No. Fair enough, yeah. Well, I don't know about Atoji, though, because he, he he seems to wreak havoc against Ireland. The turnover, yeah. A turnover machine against us every single time, at least in the last four games, as you mentioned, where England have had Ireland's number. Do you see that continuing briefly then before we finish up, that, that England seem, have had Ireland's number over the last two years and four meetings, including the World Cup warm-up? Uh, is that going to continue on Saturday? Uh, obviously, I hope it does, being, um, as most people call me, an arrogant Englishman. But um, listen, you know... It, Behind closed doors in in Dublin, when you know both teams are, um, I say nothing to play for apart from pride and beating Ireland or beating England. Um, you know, there's not a, a Six Nations on the line or a Grand Slam or anything where we've seen those Jeopardy games before, haven't we? Where you know, I remember years ago, England came over trying to win the Grand Slam, and and Ireland absolutely took us to the cleaners. You know, I played at Croke Park in a game when Ireland went on to win the Grand Slam um, in. What was that? That oh, been a wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and, and, and they're great games, but I think this game, it's the end of the Six Nations when both teams have probably underperformed a bit to the levels they wanted to be at. Um, but England has got the wood over Ireland in terms of the physicality and, and that um, sort of subconscious idea that we've beaten them at a game that they want to come at us with, with that one-out runners around the corner, our power game. Maratoji has been huge in the last few games against Ireland. And um, hopefully as an Englishman, I, I see it continuing. But um, I'm looking forward to... Hopefully Ireland have got a few tricks up their sleeve to, to pull some attacking moves out from first phase, as we've seen previously uh, under Joe Schmidt. And hopefully Catty's going to get that role going because there's n- nothing more that Andy Farrell and Mike Catt love as Ireland coaches than beating their old boys England where they played and ultimately coached England at a World Cup. And they'll be doing everything to get one over on us. 
Absolutely, I'm sure they will. Uh, we'll see how it goes on Saturday. We'll have you um, after the game for immediate reaction as well on the takeaway with Chicago Town. We're looking forward to that. Andy, before I let you go, last thing then. You mentioned the game against you played against Ireland in 09 in Crow Park. You also uh, were playing in Twickenham in 06, g- given that it's Paddy's week. And we always do like to remember Shane Horgan's try in the corner to win the Triple Crown. But listeners might uh, uh, not know who man the match was on that day. They might not. And I was going to say, I'll be very honest on this show. One of my things around my international career. It wasn't a long international career, 17 caps, but I played against Ireland a few times, never beat Ireland. Uh, but I did get my one man of the match in international rugby. I've still got the bottle of champagne downstairs um, against Ireland. Brian Moore was the commentator. He announced it just after a kick to penalty to put us back ahead. And then Shane Horgan broke England hearts, broke my heart, broke everyone's heart by scoring in the corner. I still think it wasn't a try, but um, there we go. Anyway, I danced off the field in a, in a roundabout way, pat myself on the back with man of the match, but forgot we lost the game. So uh, it was a decent day for Ireland. Not so much for us. No, no. Well, at least you've got that bottle of champagne to look at anyway, if you're not going to drink it. But uh, Andy, thanks a million. We're looking forward to chatting to you on Saturday. Yeah, I look forward to it. Cheers, guys.